Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. And uh, it was uh, great fun to see a bunch of you at, at uh, Spring Fest. That was, uh, y'all have a good time at Spring Fest? Wasn't that great? That was wonderful. <clears throat> well, we uh, were starting a new series here and um, uh, called Who Does That? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, different uh, people in the Bible who uh, maybe uh, were great leaders or did something significant in some way, uh, but they also did something that you just look at and you go, who does that, right? But they did. They did this. And it's kind of this idea that if, if they could end up doing something foolish or uh, uh, something that is wrong or something that takes them down the wrong path, like, we, like that could happen to us. And so it's looking at them and trying to understand if they could do that, what, what could we learn from that? And so we want to look at the, these different people and just learn something um, from something uh, that they have uh, been through. And to uh, set that up here this morning, I want to ask you this question uh, for this morning. Um, who, is, uh, who is one of the most gifted people you know? And maybe it's, you know, it could be gifted with anything. It could be uh, music or business or something uh, creative. Who's someone you know who's really, really gifted? So it could be a spiritual giftings of some sort. Um, and when I talk about giftedness, let me define giftedness uh, in this way. And th this is not a special definition of giftedness, but just uh, how we think of it this morning is um, just... Uh, someone who has a natural aptitude or skill uh, for something. And they may invest a lot of time and energy and practice getting better at it. But beyond just their practicing at it, there's something, there's talent that they have that was like already there. For instance, um, I could work, strive, study the game of basketball. I could get better at the game of basketball, but no one would ever say, no matter how much I put into it, Glenn's gifted at basketball, right? It's just not going to happen, right? Um, but uh, who do you know? Who do you know that you'd say, boy, there, there's some sort of gifting that they have um, uh, with it? Um, and I'll ask this question too. Ever wish you were more gifted at something or gifted at something that you're not gifted at? You know, when we think about uh, giftedness, uh, the truth is we're all gifted. There's something that we all have. Uh, the Bible speaks uh, in terms of everyone who's a follower of Christ has spiritual giftings. There's, there's something that you have of a spiritual gifting. Uh, but even uh, behind spiritual gifting, there's something about how God made each and every one of us, right? We are the Imago Dei. There's something that, uh, that we have that is a gifting. And what's interesting to me is when you look at our culture, and our culture would not be unique in this, but we live in a culture that puts a ton of value on giftedness, doesn't it? I mean, we reward giftedness. We, uh, we celebrate uh, giftedness. Uh, we look at it in sports. We look at it in entertainment. We look at it in the business world. We look at it in our neighborhoods, uh, uh, even in churches and even in spiritual uh, communities. Giftedness is this thing that is so uh, valuable and important to us. And part of it is we, we look at that giftedness and we, and we think of all the wonderful things it does for someone who's gifted. But isn't this also true? We could look at people in any one of those categories that would be like 
gifted above the average person gifted in that area. And it doesn't always mean that that giftedness has brought them the kind of good and beautiful life that they would want or that we would look at and go, that that's amazing, would it? There'd be some cases where you'd go, wow, that did great things for them. But wouldn't it also be true that you could think of some of the most gifted uh, actors, athletes, leaders, and see how their life has actually been crushed, how their life has gone in some terrible, painful way, and that their giftedness in some ways uh, was part of the weight that they felt that crushed them or led them in the wrong direction. Giftedness is a really good thing. Giftedness is a really good thing. But it's not the whole thing, is it? Right? You, you just, there's no category of life that you can look at and not have examples of some of the most gifted people uh, struggling in some of the most wrecked lives. There's something more. Giftedness is a good thing, but it's not the whole thing. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And uh, the character we're going to look at in some ways epitomizes this truth uh, maybe, maybe more than any other character uh, in the Bible. There, there, there's probably a few others uh, in there. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at an Old Testament character, and his name is Samson. And uh, he was amazingly gifted, and yet you see that there was something more uh, that was needed. Now, Samson lived in a time probably somewhere between 13 and 1200 uh, BC, long, long time ago. This was uh, known as the era before the kings of Israel, before I Israel had any kings, and the leaders were uh, usually known as judges, and they would uh, lead a segment or all of Israel during uh, this time. This was also a time in history when there was a group of people uh, commonly known as the Sea People, and they came from what was sometimes called the southern steppes of Russia, and they were masters of the sea. And so they traveled by sea, uh, mostly through the Mediterranean area, and they would hit the shores of different places, and they just over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they slowly started to take over. In fact, uh, when you look at Greek history, you realize there's this time in Greek history where Greece actually goes into uh, the Dark Ages for Greece, much, like way back in time. Probably the thing that threw Greece into the Dark Ages were the Sea Peoples the, that kind of took over that area. Uh, they're also known sometimes as the Philistines. And the Philistines, as they started moving into that area, they took over the entire area that we know of as like Israel. They even took over the, uh, the most northern part of Africa. They, uh, they dominated parts of Egypt for a long time. And during this time, the Philistines have now gotten a solid hold into the area of Israel. And so they're going to be one of the biggest nemesis uh, that Israel has during this time. In fact, when we pick up the story of Samson, Israel has been under the total domination of the Philistines for 40 years. And, and this would kind of ebb and flow. But we pick up this time when they've been under total control for 40 years. And God uh, kind of hears the cries of the Israelites. And he wants to deliver them out from under the control of the Philistines. And so uh, Samson is born. And here's how the story picks up. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges way back in uh, the Old Testament of your uh, Bible. 
sometimes known as the sticky pages of your Bible. Because we don't turn there very often and the pages all stick. Anyhow, all right. Um, chapter uh, 13. Um, and, he, and God picks out uh, this couple and he is going to, uh, they're going to give birth uh, to this son. And so the story opens up in verse 5. Look at what it says. It says, uh, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines, right? And so he comes to this couple and says, I'm, you're, I'm gonna, it's gonna be a miraculous birth and your son, Samson, is, he's gonna be my guy to deliver Israel from the hands of uh, the Philistines. Now, he mentions this really old, old practice known as a Nazarite uh, vow. And a Nazarite vow was used oftentimes as like a vow of devotion in uh, God setting someone aside. It was someone saying, I'll be devoted to this cause or this calling that you have uh, given me. And to kind of um, give an outward expression of this vow that you took to, to follow this special calling that God gave you, there were three main stipulations when you were following a Nazarite vow. So whatever that season was, and here are the three things. The first one is this. Um, they were not to touch anything that had uh, dead. No dead animal, no dead human being. Uh, not even your own family members. If you had a family member who died, like someone else had to take care of, of the body uh, and whatever else. Uh, even if it was your favorite pet, someone else had to take them to the pet cemetery uh, for you. Uh, second thing is that you were not to eat or drink anything from the vine. So, uh, you know, uh, no like fermented uh, drinks like wine, uh, you know, because they're made from grapes. You weren't allowed to eat grapes. You weren't even allowed to eat the skin of a grape, right? So no raisins, no dates, you know, which is kind of a good thing. But other than that, you know, all these things, not, not allowed to have. Um, and then the third one was no razor is to touch your head. You have to let your hair grow long. And all of this comes out of a passage in uh, the book of Numbers. And let me, you don't need to turn there, but let me just read one part of this where it talks about this, the whole point of the razor. This is in Numbers chapter 6, verse 5. It says this. <clears throat> During the entire period of his vow, a separation uh, of separation, no razor may be used on his head. He must be holy until the period of separation to the Lord is over. He must let the hair of his head grow long. And it's, and, uh, it's like these locks. In fact, the two Hebrew words there for allow and the hair for these locks is, uh, is uh, hypa and then um, uh, like uh, ippy uh, there. We get our like... Uh, like hi, hippie, like we get our English word hippie from that. Not really. I'm just making that up. But, anyway. but you had kind of the long hair, you know what I mean? Long walks. Okay. Anyhow. Um, so Samson is to be a Nazarite because God has said, he's the guy. I am going to gift him in amazing ways that he might lead Israel out from bondage under the Philistines uh, here. And uh, Samson, he is an amazing specimen of a, of a human being, of a man, right? He is physically strong. His vitality is like unbelievable. Um, he is 
uh, witty and charming. He even makes riddles we'll look at at some point in here. He has it all, right? Women wanted him and men wanted to be like him, right? And so this is Samson. He is the guy that you would look at and says he has it, uh, he has it all. Um, uh, but it's going to be really interesting how the author very skillfully through this story is going to show us that there's a narrative behind the narrative, right? The narrative that, that jumps out is this idea of how this gifted person, Samson, is going to deliver Israel uh, from the Philistines. But there's actually a narrative behind the narrative, and it's the real narrative driving everything through this uh, story. Um, and, and I want you to see how that begins to unfold uh, here. So uh, when he uh, is grown, uh, we get this story where he goes down to a city called Timnah. Uh, look at Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Starting in verse 1, we, we begin to see how the author rolls this out. It says this, uh, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Notice the tender tone and deep respect he has for his parents there. See? Um, the author's doing something here. Um, and, you know, you ask yourself the question, like, so how well did Samson know this woman? Like, did they hang out at the book club and he was so captivated by her mind and sense of humor? No. Um, and, and what you're going to see through the story here is there is this very important verb that the author uses throughout the story, and it is to see or to look. It, it translated both ways, this idea of seeing and, and, and looking. And here's the idea. He sees it. He wants it. And he will use his giftedness to provide it or to get it, right? Sees it, wants it. His giftedness provides it. And that becomes this underlying narrative that is actually the real thing that is driving this story. He sees this woman. I want her. Now go get her. Mom, Dad, you go get her. I, I, you know, and after all, I'm Samson. Right? What woman wouldn't want me? And I am so strong. You know, like, I'll make it happen if you don't do this uh, for me. Um, and this begins to play uh, out in this uh, thing. Now, let me say this, though. Giftedness is really a good thing, right? This is not a story of how giftedness is bad. But understand this. While giftedness is a good thing, it is also a weighty thing. And by that, I mean this. Um, giftedness can lead to a sense of entitlement, right? Sometimes if we get pulled into our giftedness and we become really good at something, it can leave us with a sense of like, well, I should be entitled to some things, right, that other people aren't just because I'm so gifted in this way. And we can miss that. Giftedness carries a kind of weightiness that can blind us to, to seeing the truth about ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we can be caught up in our giftedness in a way that can lead us to become arrogant, and we're blind to it. It's, it's like we don't see it because there's such focus on our giftedness. Um, it, can it can cause us to lose sight, excuse me, lose sight of the more important things in life because we become so focused on it. Let me give you a great example of the weightiness of giftedness as it can play out in a negative way sometimes because uh, it's front page in the news right now. This whole scandal going on with uh, enrollment to these prestigious colleges. And there are all of these parents. And you know, most of those parents, they're gifted, right? They're movie stars. They're business moguls. They're, 
they're athletes, they're like, they, they're gifted, they do amazing things. And yet somehow, you just, you feel it. There was, they were blind to something. There, there was something that they couldn't see. They had a sense of entitlement that like, okay, I can, somehow it's okay for me, you know, bribery's not okay, but somehow it'd be okay for me to bribe a coach or faculty or something to do this. Um, I'll, I'll defraud something in some way to do this. And, and the reality is, I, I seriously doubt most of those parents ever sat out when they, you know, when their kids were getting close to college and they said, you know, what could I do to just let my sense of entire, uh, uh, entitlement drag me towards, you know, defrauding people and compromising my morals? And like, it's not like they set out to do that. It's, it's like in their giftedness, they felt the, the weight. I, like, I, like my kids gotta go to a prestigious college, you know, because like I've achieved this and that's what giftedness does. It makes you take on the weight of like, I'm not okay if my giftedness isn't of this level. I'm not okay if people don't see me in this way. I'm not okay. And, and we just become blind to these things and suddenly parents that would have otherwise wanted to lift up a completely different set of values found themselves blind and secretly living out the very thing that they would have been appalled by. There's, there's a kind of weightiness to giftedness that can crush somebody, right? But it doesn't mean that giftedness is bad. It just means that there's something else. There's something else that's more important. And it's this character character see that's that's the thing that unfolds in this story he sees it he wants it my giftedness will just help me get it that journey lacks character and that journey can crush someone see and so this story becomes this thing between giftedness and character uh, let me define character in this way and again just this is not a special definition of character, but just a way to think about character this morning. Character uh, is that set of inner qualities directly tied to who we are in God, who God has said we are, who has called us to be. And here's the thing about character. It is in no way tied to our giftedness, right? We're all gifted, but if we weren't, it would have no bearing on our character. Character is something um, that can be lived out, acted upon, regardless of our giftedness, or our giftedness in any one area. Um, it, it's, uh, another way to think about uh, character is this. It is the integrity that we live in with our relationships with God, ourselves, and others, right? It's uh, a practical way to think about it is it's the difference between being trustworthy and flaky, right? If you're just like, what's that nebulous thing that keeps someone who's really gifted uh, on the, on, uh, to become that person who's really trustworthy or flaky? Well, it's character. Uh, it's the difference between being humble and arrogant. Uh, so while we could look at stories of incredibly gifted people that just wreak havoc in their lives, we also know stories of some of the most gifted people who never wreak havoc on their lives, who we'd look at and say, no matter how great or gifted they've become in that area, 
there's still a kind of humility to them that's amazing. It's not their giftedness that made that amazing. It's their character. Character gives us the strength by which we can carry the weight of our giftedness. See, character becomes this really important thing. So we watch this all unfold. Let me, let me give you a few examples of this in uh, Samson's story. So he meets that girl, right? And he wants to go down to marry her. So he's, got to, he's going to go back down to Timnah. And we pick up this story um, in Judges chapter 14. Look with me as uh, he heads down there. Um, uh, uh, in, let me, well, let me set it up. So he's on his way down to Timnah and a lion attacks him, right? Not an everyday occurrence. Probably nothing we would uh, uh, want, but here's what happens. Look at verse six. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat, right? This guy has unbelievable strength. Not that any of us in this room could tear apart a young goat, let alone a lion, right? But apparently goats are nothing for him and neither are lions, right? Because uh, that's just uh, who he is, right? He's just, he's got this amazing strength. So he kills this lion, right? And then sometime later he comes back uh, and this is where the story gets uh, interesting. Uh, look at uh, verse eight. It says sometime later when he went back to marry her, this girl down in Timnah, he's going back down there, the wedding's getting ready to take place soon. Um, he turned aside to look and there's that verb to look or to see, uh, turned aside to look at the lion carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. So again, here's this thing. He sees it. Oh, there's that honey. I want it. I'm going to go just get it, you know? Um, but here's the thing. What did he just do? To scoop that honey out, he touched that dead lion. He's just broken vow number one, right? He's just stepped away from, from who he is in God in some way. And this continues to play out. Let me give you another example. So now we get closer uh, to the wedding um, and his father goes down to Timnah now to uh, help uh, set up stuff. And uh, look at verse uh, 10. It says this, now his father went down to see the woman and Samson uh, made a feast there as was customary for the bridegroom, uh, uh, for, uh, for the uh, bridal party. Um, the word feast here, a really common word in the Old Testament, and it's this idea of this celebratory kind of meal. And at the center of that meal uh, would have been wine because it's all about celebrating. And you see this uh, all throughout the Old Testament, which is, a, right, which is a wonderful and beautiful thing to celebrate, to have a feast, um, except that if you've taken a Nazarite vow, uh, you shouldn't be eating or drinking anything from the, uh, from the vine, it says. And so what has he just done here? He's broken vow number two. And again, it's this idea that he goes down there and, uh, and as the wedding starts to take place and all the festivities have, it's just like, yep, I see the wine, I see what I want, and I'm just going to get it because nobody uh, can stop me. Um, and as this all takes place, he's assigned uh, uh, this... A group like this bridal party and it's these 
uh, 30 men that were, would have all been Philistines that were probably brothers and cousins of his fiance, right? And so they're going to start celebrating at this feast before the wedding gets there. And he decides to have some fun. And so he tells them this riddle. And he tells them, right, if you can figure out the riddle, I'll give you each a beautiful new linen a garment or set of clothes, something that would have been real expensive, really, really nice. But if you don't guess my riddle, then you each have to give me a set of really, really nice uh, garments. And here's his riddle. It's halfway, and you don't, I'll just read it real quick. It's the end of verse 14. It says this. Um, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And it says, for three days, they could not give him an answer. Well, of course not. No one's going to get that riddle unless, you know, you killed a lion on your way to see your fiance and a swarm of bees, you know, put a honeycomb in it, right? Who's going to guess that riddle? They couldn't guess that riddle, right? But he thinks it, it's kind of cute. But here, but again, we see his character or lack of character play out because his fiance, you know, she's got her brothers and cousins and everything and they can't figure it out. So she starts begging him and, you know, nagging him like, come on, tell me what the answer is. Tell me what the answer is. And he gets what's happening. But his lack of inner strength, it's like he gives into it. And so he tells her what the answer is. Uh, is in this and they get all excited so they come and they give the answer of which he gets all upset I love how they uh, how they give him the answer uh, here's how they put it it says uh, uh, before sunset on the seventh day the men of the town said to him what is sweeter than honey what is stronger than a lion and notice they put it in the correct form for jeopardy on the so <clears throat> jeopardy is the biblical game show of TV um, Anyhow, um, he's the one that gave away the answer. And then when they use the answer against him, instead of going, well, you know, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Instead, I kind of gave in. The guy who is so strong on the outside, actually his inner life is really weak. And he throws a fit. He throws a fit by going and killing uh, 30 men in the nearby village. Uh, a nearby village where people would have been related to this family or friends of this family kills 30 men, takes their clothing to pay off his lost uh, bet. Um, and uh, what's more is he makes um, uh, this particular statement uh, when he uh, throws this fit. And he says this in verse 18 uh, to these guys who solve the riddle. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Well, that's a sweet thing to call your fiance, <laughs> right? So he calls his fiance a heifer and then kills 30 people from their neighborhood and then shows up later at the house as if nothing's happened. And her dad, right, the fiance's dad is like, I think I'm having second thoughts about this guy. <laughs> you know, gee, I don't know why, right? And so he gives a little pushback, at which now Samson throws a bigger fit. He goes out on this terror and just starts killing people. Um, I think it's uh, like between 1,000 and 3,000 people that he kills. He starts burning their fields. Uh, this is all in an area of the Philistines. And when this happens, word spreads to the Israelites and they realize this is bad because these are our rulers. They could make life really bad for us. So um, all of these Israelite uh, leaders uh, come 
they bring uh, all of these men to capture Samson, uh, which is kind of a hard thing to do. They finally talk him into this thing and say, you can't be doing this. We have to hand you over to the Philistines. So he lets them tie him up really good, hands him over to the Philistines, at which uh, he breaks the, uh, the binds and starts killing more Philistines. And at this time, he takes uh, the jawbone of a dead donkey and uses that as his weapon. At which, right, and, and you just see this inner life playing out with Samson. At which the Philistines are like, you know what? We're now getting a really clear picture of what this guy is capable of. And they realize if we don't get this guy under control, the power shift could change like this. And we will be under the Israelites. And so they begin this plan by how do we... How do we get control of Samson? And so again, Samson, uh, and I won't read the whole story, but he sees a woman, he wants her, and he goes and gets her. Anyone know what her name is? Famous story? Delilah, yeah, there's even a great song about it. Um, and if I was a gifted musician, I'd sing it for you, but I'm not, so I'm not gonna, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Delilah, uh, the, the, the Philistine leaders come to her, um, you can read this uh, later in the story. And they, uh, they promise her wealth and influence, and they're just like, do anything. And so she agrees. And she keeps trying to get the secret of his strength from him, which, of course, are those long, beautiful locks of hair he has, his hippie hair, right? And so uh, he, he, like, starts giving it away little by little. He, gets, he gives something close, but not quite there. He understands what's happening because every time he tells a little something to, to Delilah, she betrays him. But what he sees, he wants. And he just always thinks at the end of the day, his giftedness is going to pull him through. Until one time, he finally gives in and he tells her, the secret of my strength is my hair. And we pick up the uh, story in chapter 16. Look at verse uh, 9. I want us just to, to look at this because this is where his arrogance has gotten the best of him and he uh, gives it away. It says this, verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And what has he just done there? He's now broken the third and last vow. Like there's nothing left. There's, there's no part of his vow to God that he's kept any longer. Uh, and now comes the saddest part of this story. Uh, look at the end of verse 19 into 20. It says, and so began, uh, and so began to subtly uh, subdue him uh, and his strength left him. Verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake uh, myself free. And here's the sad part. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He's now been crushed under the weight of his own giftedness. He doesn't even know that the strength of his great giftedness of what God has given him is gone. Right? And this is the sad part about character. We don't really know how much we need character until we need it. Right? You just don't know until you need it. And if you wait to develop character until you need it, you've waited too long. Right? That's the thing. Because character, friends, here's the deal. Character is the thing that gives us the strength 
to carry our giftedness. And that is the thing that Samson never took the time to cultivate because he just kept relying and cultivating and trusting in his own giftedness. And here, here's, here's the great lesson in this. And then I, I want to kind of break out uh, just three points of application on it. And it's this. Giftedness is bestowed, but character is forged. Samson didn't do anything to get that giftedness. God gave it to him, right? And we all have giftedness. If you're a follower of Christ, you have some spiritual gifts. And God, like, it just, he just blessed you with that. And it's an amazing thing. Uh, we all have other types of giftedness as well. And, and a lot of that giftedness is just you were blessed because your parents passed on their DNA, right? And, and you were gifted in different ways, whether it was uh, with creative things or with uh, your intelligence or uh, physical things, athletic ability or your beauty or your insight, your IQ, whatever it is. It's a wonderful thing. And you can do a lot to leverage it and cultivate it. But here's the thing about character. Character is forged. It's created in this. So I want to look at one more thing out of this story. Uh, actually, uh, two more things. And there's these three points of application uh, uh, out of it. There, there's one line back in chapter 15 uh, that I want us to look at just real quick. And it's, it's one line, but there's something important out of it. Look at chapter 15. Look at verse 20. Uh, and it's this kind of commentary um, uh, about the situation that's so insightful. Verse 20 says this, Samson led Israel for 20 years. This gifted man, he led Israel, it says, for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now think about that for a second. Here, here's why that is such a sad thing. He was leading Israel. And what was his purpose? Why the Nazarite vow in the first place? To deliver Israel from what? The Philistines. A man as gifted as Samson, verse 20 should have read, and Samson led Israel for 20 years in the time of the Israelites. There was one thing he never did. He burned down fields. He killed lions. He was like, he was a ladies' man. He was, he was, you know, the Riddler. He was like, he was everything except the guy that led Israel to its freedom. So here's the first thing about character. Um, without character, giftedness rarely has a so when it comes to developing character, it means seeking God's call and God's purpose for who you are. And I really mean this. If you want to cultivate character, you've got to know what is the why behind what God wants to do with you in this world. You all have, I'm looking at a room filled with people with giftedness. And by that, there is something that God has infused in you, in your life, with your abilities, with your passions, to bless this world. You have a gift for this world. And you know what? If you don't know what it is, that's going to be a problem, right? Because then there's something missing. There's something that this world should have, and it's not going to have it. And part of character is knowing what that is, because sometimes it's not easy 
to give your gift to the world. Sometimes to be a blessing to this world is costly or difficult. Sometimes you have to have great clarity on it. So here's the deal. Seek that. Seek to understand that. Pray. Uh, uh, find out what it is that God would look to you and say, here's what I want you to give away. How I want you to bless this world, to bless your church, to bless your community, to bless your uh, family. We all have that. Uh, uh, the next two things, and this goes back to something that happens in chapter 16. So look back at verse uh, 16. Um, and of course, he loses his strength. All the men run in, they tie him up, and he tries to, you know, get out of the binds. He can't because his strength is gone. And they take him away, and it becomes this terrible, sad thing that happens to him that, look, that we see in verse 21. And here's what it says. Uh, the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. So there's two little phrases uh, in this one sentence uh, for the application here. And the first little phrase is, gouged out. They gouged out his eyes. Don't miss the irony here. The man who has lived these 20 years of, I see it, I want it. I'll use my giftedness to get it. I see it, I want it. I'll use my giftedness to get it. Has now just lost his eyes. You know, Jesus uses this metaphor in the New Testament where he speaks of how, and, and, and it's in metaphorical terms, but he says how the eyes are a window to the soul, right? There's this connection to the soul. And it's kind of this idea that the eyes of, of, of Samson's soul were gouged out a long, long time before his actual eyes were. All that's happened in this moment is what was already going on in the inside is simply being reflected outwardly. And the truth is, character, whatever is on the inside, eventually makes its way out. It just does. And so character is about cultivating that inner life. And two things about cultivating that uh, inner uh, life. Uh, it is about reflecting and moving. And what I mean by reflecting is, it is to reflect on what those inner character qualities are to be. Is it humility? Is it uh, understanding and valuing what that purpose is? Is it kindness? Is it acts of service? Right? And, and here's the thing, if you never take the time to reflect the truth of your inner life, you'll be blind to it. But then it's about moving on those things. And here's why I say moving to it, because developing character is a commitment. And when you think of commitment, don't think of commitment as purely binary, as it's like a one-time deal and you either uh, do it or you don't do it or you have it or you don't have it. Think of commitment as you're committing to moving towards something. So um, humility, like can you say I'm humble or I'm not humble? Well, the truth is it's somewhere in the middle. But to develop characters, say, I'm, I'm committed to cultivating humility. So I'll recognize arrogance in my life. I'll recognize tension over humility. And my commitment is, as I see that, how do I move towards being humble? How do I move in those points where I'm like, wow, I see something selfish in me right now. Okay, that's reflection. Now, how do I move towards acting in a way that's unselfish? 
How do I move in a way that would be to serve someone else, to offer someone else grace? And it's just forged. It's forged in this thing because it's not fun to be introspective in those moments where you see the thing about your life that you'd rather not see. I would imagine there's a whole group of parents right now who aren't liking what they're seeing on the news because what the news is putting out about this whole huge scandal is like something I bet they wish they would have seen and moved on months or years earlier. So reflect and move. The last thing uh, is this and kind of goes with this. It's the phrase, they took him. They took him. Do you realize up until this moment, no one took Samson anywhere because you just couldn't do that. But now it says they took him to Gaza. And I promise you this, that's not what he wanted. And here's the truth about character. Character has this quality of understanding what we really want. You know, sometimes when we think about lack of character, we think of lack of character as being, um, you just do whatever you want, right? I'm just, I have no character, so I'm just gonna go do whatever I want. And you run around like Samson. That's partially true, partially true. But the other part is sometimes we actually don't do what we want. It's because we're giving in to something else. We're swayed by something. We're not centered on those character traits, those things that we learn to live by. One of the saddest things about not developing character is you don't actually end up where you want to be. And sometimes it's because we never ask the question, what is it that I really want? What is it that I really want? Do you want to achieve something even if it means deception and manipulation? Well, I'm sure there's a part in each of us that would say, well, yeah, because I just, I want that thing. But then I would say, is it what you really want? Is there that part of who God has made you to be that you would want to achieve that even if it meant deception or manipulation? And I bet God who is in you is shaping something in you where you'd say, no, I wouldn't want that. And it's creating clarity on what you really want because of who you are in Christ. Seeing it and then moving toward it, that step by step by step, you begin to forge character. And here's the beauty of forging character. When you forge character, you will have the strength to bear the weight of your giftedness. And that is when giftedness becomes a beautiful thing in our lives. And may you experience the beauty of the giftedness that God has bestowed on you. Um, I'm gonna close this out. And before I pray, let me just say this. If you're a visitor here this morning, it is so good to have you here. I'm gonna be right back here in what we call the living room area. And if you're new or visiting, um, uh, come by. Let me just shake your hand and welcome you here this morning. Uh, maybe there's something going on in your life and you'd love to just have someone pray for you this morning. I wanna invite you to come over to our prayer place and um, just spend some time uh, maybe allowing someone to pray with you or for you here this morning. Why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this out this morning. Let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the uh, beautiful and wonderful gifts that you give all of us. 
But even more than that, God, we thank you for the insight, for the character, for the guidance that you give us in leading us into forging that character by which we can leverage and use and so enjoy all that you have given us as your children. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.